Welcome to The Original Doll. I'm your host, James Rodriguez. On The Original Doll Iconography, I unpackage music with the people who create it. And at the same time, we give back to charity. For more information, go to Instagram, the.original.doll. And a big shout out to my Patreon supporters. Thank you so much. If you'd like to join my community, go to theoriginaldoll.com. And as with every episode of The Original Doll, any audio recording, ripping, stealing is strictly prohibited in every country in the world. So if you see anything leaked, please report it to the webmaster. Now, today we have two special guests, one being a music producer who worked with LaToya Jackson, Taylor Dane, Solange Knowles, Destiny Child, and so many more. And we also have a bonus track for those who might have missed my interview with songwriter, recording artist, and producer Maya Marie. We break down Erica Jane's hit number one song, How Many Fs. My name is James Rodriguez. Now on with the show. All right, everyone, I would like to welcome you back to The Original Doll. I am your host, James Rodriguez, on The Original Doll. I unpackage music with the people who create it. We go behind the scenes and learn all about these iconic songs from these icons themselves. Now, at the same time, we give back to charities. So for every question a guest answers, we get items donated to those in need. We help out women and children in domestic abuse shelters, homeless LGBT plus teens, and more. For more information, visit www.theoriginaldoll.com. Shout out to Patreon patrons. Thank you for your support. And as with every episode of The Original Doll, any audio recording, ripping, stealing is strictly prohibited in every country in the world. So if you see anything leaked that shouldn't be out there, report it to the webmaster and do the same with the guests. All right. Today we are joined by a music producer that you all might know with a different name or a different remix. And we're <laughs> going to get into this. But today we are joined by Jared Jones. Jared, thank you so much for being here today. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Now, let's cut right to the chase. For those who might not know, what was the name or the collaboration under that you used to produce music in, you know, at the beginning of your career? So people are like, this is this is him. This is who it is. So let's talk so about that. It was Vibelicious. That, that was the name. And it was a collective. <laughs> it was me and always another artist. And instead of listing our names together, we listed Vibelicious. And that's what it was. And this is the part. So many times music producers have gone under different names. I'm like, wait a minute. I think I know this song. It's like, my name is Cornflake, but my early <laughs> stuff was under Rice Krispie Tree. So we're going to go through this. So Jared, let's rewind all the way back. How did music come into your life? How did music come to you? Uh, so, I mean, growing up, my mom really listened to a lot of Motown. So, I mean, music was always something that I was exposed to. And then when I was the tender young age of like 11 years old and entered middle school, I decided I wanted to be a band geek and uh, I ended up playing the alto saxophone. So Ooh. from that point on, you know, music was 
Yeah, because I, I played until I graduated high school. So that's kind of what got me into like music itself. Um, and then, of course, you know, as anyone, I mean, of course, back then, radio was a huge thing. So you would listen to things on the radio, try and catch your favorite song and hit record on your, you know, cassette tape and have <laughs> your, you know, to, to, to get that song. So that's kind of what started me in, you know, my love of music. And I will say from like where I ended up today, my teenage years were like the mid nineties. So, you know, really all of the pop and dance and all of that is really when that came into America and kind of set me on, yep, <laughs> set me on my path. But the funny thing is my musical taste when I was a kid, this, this cracks my mom up. So the two albums that I listened to the most as a kid were ACDC, Highway to Hell, and then she bought me a, a, uh, a 12-inch. It was Judy Garland live at Carnegie Hall. So, you know... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> very versatile. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, of course, there was Michael Jackson thrown in because I'm a huge Michael Jackson fan, you know, and 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 a fan of the Jacksons themselves. But th those two were kind of the outliers of like the vast, extreme difference artists. You know, here's ACDC and Judy Garland. <laughs> Early on, I think I was like maybe six or seven, and the first CDs I remember getting in our house that I listened to a lot were Bad Company and Debbie Gibson. It was it was those two. And I'm like, now looking back, I was like, what is wrong with the music taste I had? I'm like, eh, it's just, and the thing is, you didn't have access like digitally to just go out and explore and find other things. You were playing right. that, that CD, that tape, you're playing it nonstop. The amount of times I accidentally recorded over something waiting for like the top five at nine <laughs> in Chicago. I was like, let me make sure, ooh, is this going to be number one? And then hit record. And the amount of times I had cassettes that were recorded with like the vj's voice and i remember i would be like oh why are they talking i didn't realize this is like a business where they're <laughs> they're promoting these and i just as a child i was like how selfish of them and when i was like remove their voice and i would always try to make mixtapes and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't and i got annoyed when they would only play a snippet of a song and then move on to the next one. It was it was tough times in the in the late 80s early 90s oh there was <laughs> It's funny you mentioned that. So there was a there's a radio station here because I've I've lived in my hometown, you know, my whole life. Um, and they used to have, I think it was on Fridays, Fridays or Saturdays, and they would do a whole like two hours where they would just play like the dance remix of all the songs. So I was always like, oh, I've got to record this because you know, back then a lot of it was only promo only. So, you know, you either heard it in a club from DJs or they played it on the radio. And I would always be trying to record those. And I'm like, shut up. No, play the full thing. Don't, don't stop. Don't mix into the next song. And so, yeah. <laughs> it was, well, and that was something that like the listeners of the original doll we talked about. We were like, so many times we've mentioned how those promo things, how those remixes really helped to break an artist that, Oftentimes, and I remember people would get, you know, of course, internet trolls and things like that, where I would say, like, this song was number one on the dance charts in Mumbai, let's say, or something. And they're like, why is that a big deal? It's Why is that a big deal? And then when you actually look at those dance charts, especially early on, remember, there were like black disco charts. There were things so many minorities and so many women had success on those because they were being played. Right. They found a market. It was such a niche market. And now it's... It's become, I mean, if we look at even the the modern day artists right now, 
like Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is releasing remixes of her singles like a week or two later, and she gets the advantage of digitally. Let's just reach out to Jared, mix (laughs) it and send it, and we'll release it this next week to get number one. So I think that people have realized the advantage of creating those remixes. Right. You've remixed a lot of a lot of the 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 titans, the icons that we've talked about. So let me ask you this. Early on, before you were even doing any music production, who were those artists or were there any artists where when the remixes would come out, you're like, I need that. I want to hear it. Were those those artists that specifically to remixing that you followed their career? Because there was a lot of these women like that had Madonna, let's say, you know, 50 number one songs in the dance charts. Were there any of those artists that you followed because it was those remixes that kept giving you something else? Yes and no. I I will say for me, a lot of what inspired me was the actual remixers themselves. So I kind of followed. So like if I saw a David Morales remix, I'm like, I have to have it. I don't know who the artist is, but I love David Morales. And so I'm going to buy this single because he did the remix. Um, you know, there's there's a whole host of them like that. So I think that exposed me to a lot of the actual, you know, singers and artists because I may not have known who they were, but I knew who was producing the remix of that track. And so really probably what kind of hooked me that got me on that. So I will say I would have never known who Four Non Blondes and Linda Perry was because the original version of What's Up is like well, I I don't want to be disrespectful, but the remix is much it's better. Different. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And so I wake in the morning and I step outside and I take a deep breath and I get real high and I scream from the top of my lungs, what's going on? And I say, I mean, and that synth line, it's like, I even, there was um, uh, an artist I work with, Ari Gold, we were talking about it. And uh, another one of those is uh, Jane Child, Don't Want to Fall in Love. Like, I love the New Jack uh, swing remix of that. Probably, I mean, the original is great too. I think it's one of the best pop songs probably ever put out and written, but he loved it too. And so he sent me his album and there was like, I was like, you just ripped off that synth line from that. (laughs) And he's like, Oh, I didn't realize it. And I'm like, yeah, this Uh, is, and there's been several of those like that have come up. Like, I'm like, Hey, you've done this and that. And you know, it's from a, and it's actually from a remix of an artist and they didn't realize I'm like, no, that's the same melody or, or, you know, riff or whatever. So Mm. I've had a lot of, a lot of people, even if I'm not producing it, they'll send it to me and say, Hey, do you hear anything in this that's, you know, because several people have told me, and I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the amount, and the thing is, we we talk about, like, 
sampling. We also talk about people not realizing that they may be ripping something completely from and that intentionally or not. People always want to make sure like, because if they do, some people are like, I just want to make sure I give credit to whomever. I don't want to make sure I'm not going to get sued. Right. And there are those times where it's just an, I'd say nine out of 10 times, it's just an accident. People come upon this thing. They sound great. And not every person knows every song ever made, but it's always an advantage to have somebody like you with that ear that goes, wait, this sounds familiar. Let's, let's, you know, let's, you're basically doing what those musicologists, those, the, you know, the, the people out there that are like, Oh, let me, let me deep dive into this. But the funny thing, when you brought up the DJ Miko, I remember I grew up in a record store and I remember I would get the 12 inch crates that would come in and I would put right. it out and I would look for all the labels. Even <laughs> if I didn't know the artist, I'm like, do I recognize that label? Is that, you know, is it a, is it A&M? Is it Warner? Is it Maverick? Right. And I remember seeing that and I don't know if I ever heard what's up before the original version before that one, because I grew up, I still live in Chicago and I just remember that was the summer where it was like you had those remixes and they were going hard with dance. And even along, you know, the years along there with Total Eclipse of the Heart, Nikki French. Right. I think I listened to that more than the original one. But oh, yeah, this is what I always tell people, because when they're like, James, I didn't know that that song. I go, it's there's no shame. I don't like people that shame people. How do you not know this eighth remix <laughs> from this import that was only available on a Tuesday when it rains? <laughs> But it's like I always say it's good to have new ears on older songs. It's the appreciation because you want to make music that lasts. I just always remembered thinking, but what remix person is this? And then years later, going through like, you know, being in Chicago house music and things like that and going, who is this person? And then I learned about engineering. And a lot of the listeners are like, James, I'm confused. What does an engineer do? And then people start explaining it. They're like, sometimes remix producers, if you will, in just generic terms, will say, this is the James Rodriguez remix. Did I actually do the work? Maybe, maybe not. When you look at the engineers and go, oh, I could have easily gone as the, you know, the conductor of the orchestra and said, I want it to sound like boom, 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 here. And somebody else does the work. And then all of a sudden it's, James Rodriguez's remix and you look and go it's those engineers and that's where a lot of the engineers I have followed in not saying that's everyone it just happens to be the case a lot would you agree with that well (laughs) okay I'll I'll throw I'll throw the shade and spill the tea so you can come away clean from this the majority once you hit a certain point very few of these mega producers i mean sure they're probably involved in some way but they have a team of engineers behind them especially if you are doing a level of work that is insane you know i mean think about at the time like mid 90s or whatever i'm sure rodney jenkins had a whole thing because i mean he was producing everybody from destiny's child to britney to whitney to i mean janet jackson i mean there's no Mm -hmm. way that one person can be with all of these people at one time so yes, I I I, I agree. <laughs> I mean, there there and there's there's plenty of DJs that are in the industry are known that hey, they don't do the work. They they you know it's they hire the engineers out, and that's who actually does the remix. But because they have the following, they are out there playing the the shows and things like that. That's going to be more beneficial in the end because people are going to see that name and say, oh, I want to listen to that versus the engineer that they don't know. Mm-hmm. You know who that person is 
But there are those people like yourself who can do music production and create your remixes. Basically, you're the engineer, you're the creator. One man show. <laughs> there you go. One man show. <laughs> then let me ask you this, because this is something I wanted to pick your brain on. Mariah Carey, well known for remixing, you know, those remixes, really those house remixes. And 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 I'll even throw, you know, another artist, Darren Hayes from Savage Garden, where these are artists that would go back in the studio and go, okay, wait, you want something different? Let, let's throw something different. What do you think about that, where those artists that choose to go back in the studio and kind of change up the vocal production on it, how does that differ when somebody re-records their vocals for a remix than not? It really, to, to kind of simplify a long answer, it really gives the producer a lot more options. So let's say, you know, there is a track at the dreaded, like, you know, 90 beats per minute. For those that don't know, you know, that is not a, if you're going to make it a dance remix, that is not what you want to see because you either have to slow them down where it's like, yeah, yeah. or they're sped up and they're like, ah, oh, ah, ah, you know, chipmunks. Right. So, you know, and I think Mariah was smart in that because there are songs of hers that she re-recorded because of that reason. And so that gave a whole new life to the song. So I think it's great because ultimately it ends up with a better product, you know, the end result of what the listeners are going to listen to. But then it also changes it up and actually gives kind of a new version. Um, even though a remix is a new version, it's even still a a newer, newer version of that song or, you know, whatever they're they're doing the remix of. So I think it's great. Uh, I wish it was done more today. Mm -hmm. You know, like you said, it's really not. And I and I understand why one technology has improved. So where you those you can work around those a lot better. But then two budgets for remixes these days are not what they were. 10, 20 years ago. We've had Davidson Ospina, Jack D. Elliott, Dave Day, so many, Chu Fu, so many of these, these producers that have mentioned, man, that one remix in the day could have been like the down payment on my house. Mm -hmm. People oftentimes forget that song A that's released that maybe sells 50,000 copies is not bringing in $50,000 to each person in there. You know what I mean? Right. You're making pennies and we're not even talking beyond, I mean, streaming is as a whole separate beast. But so if the money's not coming in, they're not trying to spend that money. They're not giving right. you $30,000 when <laughs> the song in its original form with all the remixes only brings in $6,000 to the label, let's say. Right. Now, let's talk about somebody who you've worked with and we're celebrating like what this production is old enough to buy a drink in America at this point, <laughs> which is this is how cool is. your career is. You're like, oh, that's true. <laughs> We're going to talk about Taylor Dane, How Many. Now, it's the Vibelicious. Everyone, once again, Vibelicious. So when you see Vibelicious, Jared Jones. Let's talk a little bit about how you got involved in this. Because was this your kind of big break? Yeah. So how many from Taylor Dane was my first commercially released remix? And it is had been something that I had been chasing for several years, you know, doing unofficial remixes and putting them out and DJs were playing them. And I mean, I would be in a club. So back in that day, uh, I, you know, I live about two hours away from Washington, D.C., 
So we would go up to DC because that's where all the big clubs were. And it, it was Velvet Nation was the club. And so, I'll, you know, sometimes I'd be there and all of a sudden my remix is playing and I'm like, oh, this is so cool. But, you know, I wish that this was official and, you know, I was making some bank from it. But what happened with this was, so the producer of that track was Tony Moran, you know, huge, well-known dance producer. And a friend of mine knew him and he's like, they're still looking for a remix because they're not really finding what they want with some of the others or they don't whatever the case was you know they didn't have the style of remix or, or something something was missing so he leaked the vocal tracks to me and he's like if you can have this done tony moran's going to be here i'm going to be opening up for him i will play this remix and he goes we'll see what happens and so I got the remix done, bing, bam, boom. He plays it. He sends me an email that night when he's done. And he's like, oh, Tony Rand came up and asked, where did you get that from? Who did that? And he goes, so I passed your information along, no promises. So a couple of days later, my phone rings and it's Tony Moran. And he has this New York accent and he's like, hello, is Joe there? And so, you know, I was like, holy, you know, Tony Moran, I mean, somebody who I looked up to, you know, mm -hmm. listening to his remixes and, and, and things like that is calling me. And of course I knew it what it was about. And so that's kind of how I got in. And then, you know, from there, he's like, we'd like to, you know, have your remixes a part of the package on the single, um, you know, of course, putting a couple changes for request or uh, request changes of what to change in the remix and, and et cetera. But that was my first commercially available remix. And, you know, we kind of snuck it in there. <laughs> do you remember what some of those changes were? So for the listeners, was it you, was it as minor as we need like a longer intro? You know what I mean? Like what sort of thing? Or was it remove this chunk of the lyrics or we don't want the verses? Like, do you recall what those those changes were on the creative side? Because that's something where people might not realize just because you finish it yourself doesn't mean there's not going to be some tinkering or remixing from, from the powers right. that be. <laughs> right. So for that, it was, that one was pretty easy. I mean, there has been others where, I mean, I've had to basically go back and redo a whole new production essentially, but for Taylor Dane, it was just, we want a little bit longer intro outro, you know, change the hi-hats. Maybe they need to be a little louder or softer, you know, little minor adjustments but overall what i had done he was very happy with and it was just very minor changes that were you know asked for on that one with you getting those those stems those vocal was there anything you were surprised by hearing that raw those raw vocals of taylor dane who is a substantial singer was right. there anything where you got to hear the christmas because you probably were like making your own acapellas of thing. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> how different was that when you got right. to, I mean, it was definitely a better experience um, on that one because they had been searching for remixes. They had kind of already refined the vocals. So it was kind of, here's the remix pack or the vocal package for remixes. Um, and it wasn't like the totally raw kind of studio stuff. Like some of the things I've had, it is interesting. Like you'll hear conversations between the artist and the engineer, or there's a, a whole another part that was cut out or, you know, something like that. But on this one, it was very kind of straightforward. Um, Cause I think they, you know, they had already cut all of those things out and were just like, here, do a remix of this. This is the vocal track. So um, it was great to hear her vocals, you know, isolated and, you know, just hearing her. Ah! And, but other than that, 
you know, it, it, there wasn't any kind of like little hidden goodies or, or things, um, which not to get off track, but the, the, there's been some really fun ones. But one of those that I did um, a remix of Linda Carter, um, there was a whole intro of her talking to the producer and then she was laughing. And so in my remix, I actually took that laugh and put it in my remix. And she was like, that's brilliant. You know, so I love when there are those little things like that, that you can pick out that they cut out from the original version. Well, that was something I talked to before with different music producers where they like when you get it, you could have this fun surprise that you didn't even realize was in there. Or right. it's or they would say uh, people would say like Brittany, she was chewing gum or <laughs> she was like humming at first <laughs> or you have those vocals where the singer is listening. So, the, the volume in their headphones are so high that you are picking up that instrumental yes. track. So yes. some people are like, wait a minute. Why do I hear this? Why is it not acapella? It's because the artist is listening to that music so loud or they have one of the headphones off right. that the microphone still picks it up. And there's a lot, uh, there's a lot more of those than, than you. That's why somebody's like, this song is the unfiltered thing. This is studio quality one from them. <laughs> and then I'll reach out to the music producer. Like, no, it's not. Cause in the background you would hear, they just filtered out the other song. They're like, no, right. she likes to listen to her music very high. So you would hear that. <laughs> it's insane. So how did that feel? Not only just getting your first, you know, commercial release, but it did well. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. How did how did that feel for you then to see that it was received, that it did chart? I mean, obviously being my my first, you know, release and then it was number six on the Billboard dance chart. And so it was just like, holy crap, this is happening. Something that I had strive to achieve it was happening and then it was great and like i had my own little release party here at my hometown at the club and you know we gave out free copies because the record label sent me like four boxes of the cd single so i was like yay you know and so that was i was on cloud nine but then sort of a little bit after the fact it's like where do we go from here what happens next so you, you have that high but then you're like i want that again but how do we get it to happen and make that happen or, or or who do i reach out to how do we get that next that next hit that next remix you know so mm -hmm. it, it was a big high because it was the first and then it was like oh wait a minute i don't know exactly what to do because <laughs> this is the first time i've had this happen well, and I was going to say what I want the listeners to keep in mind is here you are working on your first commercial release. By this point, when people have this hit, usually they're already working six or seven different songs with other artists at the same time. Here you are getting the ball thrown at you and hitting this home run right away. And you're just like, oh, where do I go? <laughs> so then how did the business end change? Did you have labels? Did you have people reaching out going, do you have any more stuff? Or how soon before the next discussion? Not even a, a something that was released, but how soon afterwards were you talking or working with other artists or other other A and R production teams? So um, the record label that released Taylor Dane um, Centaur Records, um, they had me do several other things after that, obviously, because that was that was a hit. So that led me to remixing Daphne Rubin Vega's cover of Elton John's Rocket Man, which if you don't know, Daphne Rubin Vega 
uh, was in the original Broadway cast of Rent. And then it also, they had me do a remix that was unreleased of Kevin Aviance, which I think everyone should know who Kevin Aviance is at this point. Um, Obviously. <laughs> so I got those opportunities. But as far as others, some of the remixes that I had sent, because I was sending like, you know, demo CDs to A&R. This is back in the day where you didn't email, you actually sent a package in the mail. And so I had sent one to like A&M Records. And I think that's who Brandy was on at the point. It was the What About Us. Um, was that and, Atlantic? Or Atlantic. Okay. Yeah, it, it's it's all a blur. It's so long ago. But I, I remember the, the A&R, it was, his name is Johnny D. And we had done, uh, it was me and a friend of mine. We did a remix of her single, What About Us? And we didn't hear anything. Well, then Taylor Dane hit and all of a sudden Johnny D calls me. It opened the door there. I mean, ultimately that didn't really lead to anything with that, but it was still good to get a phone call back and, you know, talk with him and, you know, potentially things. Uh, the door that it really opened was... Uh, with Music World Music and the A&R there was We Win, which we were friends on social media still today. So, you know, hello, if you're there, um, was the company that Matthew Knowles started. And so Matthew Knowles, of course, is the father of uh, Beyonce and Solange Knowles. And so that opened up for me doing remixes of Solange, Destiny's Child, Beyonce, and other artists that they had. So that really got me in the doors with them. And then, you know, and, and there were there were others, of course, those were really the two biggest, you know, kind of things that came up after that happened, because I hadn't heard anything, but then you get this success. And then they're like, oh, hey, I'd like to speak to Jared Jones. And that, that's when that's when I should have had uh, my song, you know, if 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 such and such calls, I'm not here, you know, <laughs> if Madonna calls. <laughs> well, so let me ask you this then. So here you are going from doing your own unofficial remixes. Then you get this commercially releasing. Then you're working with. And at the time, Destiny's Child, Matthew Knowles really knew how to let's milk these albums and these singles let's keep because even if it yeah. was it, just in general commercially even if a single didn't sell that well for a destiny's child song or get as much it was still at a higher tier than most other things right destiny's child had right. that name that people still listen they gave it a listen because they were at that icon level where right. whatever they were putting out people were still putting ears on it so there's somebody and, and speaking of family matthew Knowles, solange and everyone there's <laughs> somebody that i want to talk about this person i get a ton of questions about asking if i could talk to anybody anyone who's worked production anyone who's ever met her her name latoya jackson Why don't we talk about how you got involved in the LaToya world and let's kind of break down some of those songs. Just want to dance, free the world, trouble. Like, let, let's go to that. So first of all, did you know LaToya's music even before? Secondly is, how did you get brought in to work on these productions? So of course I knew of LaToya Jackson. I wasn't really familiar with a lot of her music, but being such a huge fan of Michael 
and Janet, you know, of course you kind of know the other Jackson, you know, family members because they've all had a level of success. They're a dynasty, you know, it's, it's a whole thing. So I was well aware of her and what happened to get me, you know, in the door with Latoya Jackson, I heard that she was working on music and uh, they were getting ready to release a single. And so I looked up and saw that she was represented by this company, JTEL, uh, at the time. And I literally just sent them an email and I said, hey, you know, my name is Jared Jones. I've remixed such and such. Um, you know, here's some of my work that I've done. If you're looking for remixes, I would love to be considered and have the opportunity. And, you know, part of anything I will say to people in almost any industry is to be proactive and go after it because the, the opportunities typically do not come knocking on your door. You are knocking on their door, you know, saying, hey, here I am. This is what I can offer. So I got a phone call from her manager at the time, which was Jeffrey Phillips. And he's like, we'd like you to do a remix. And so I had to sign like an NDA and all this other stuff. And then they mailed me like the single and the vocals and, you know, all of that stuff. And uh, I, I ended up doing three different remixes of that song. Only two were commercially released. And this is the interesting tidbit. At the time, I was friends, and I, I, mean, I still am, but I was friends with RuPaul. And so I would use him as kind of an it, like, what should I do? Mm -hmm. uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about how I got involved with RuPaul later. But mm -hmm. uh, he was like, oh, I'm, I think they're going to buy all three. It's going to be great. You know, they're all three remixes are awesome. I love it. And he actually did a remix video to the third remix that they did not pick up using clips from her Playboy VHS tapes. So I have that. He gave that to me as a birthday present. <laughs> but anyway, so they picked up the two. I got paid, you know, and, and then that led to me remixing the other follow-up singles that came free the world i don't play that but the interesting tidbit about just want to dance is let's fast forward where you know latoya many many years later gets her own reality show life mm -hmm. with latoya i am watching life with latoya she is the grand marshal of the la pride parade and lo and behold what is playing in the background my unreleased third remix of just want to dance which they had not paid me for. Oh, oh, So I sent an email and I said, hey, you technically don't own this. And you used it on Oprah Winfrey's television network. I can't tell you what went on behind the scenes, but I will tell you it was a very fast, quick response. Mm -hmm. We got paid very well because that could have been a, a probably a, a, a a pretty big issue for them because somebody failed to clear that mm -hmm. music to be used for broadcast. So that's kind of how I got into Latoya's camp. Hopping out for a quick second. If you are enjoying this, make sure that you rate this on Spotify or Apple Podcast and tell your friends about it. And don't forget, join me on Instagram, the.original.doll, and my community on Patreon, theoriginaldoll.com. Now, back to the show.
trouble, Latoya and her camp had nothing to do with it. Um, the strange thing is she recorded that demo with a producer. His name was Sherman, and he owned the rights to all of that. So she basically was a session singer. You know, they didn't end up using it on Latoya's album. Uh, she passed on it and it ended up becoming a hit for Nia Peebles. And, you know, 1988 was a huge song for her. Fast forward, the vocals were sent out for Trouble to a friend of mine, and they were like, you know, we can do something with this if you want to. And I'm like, I would love to release a Latoya Jackson record and not have to deal with management, Latoya, or anything. I only had to deal with Sherman, the producer who owned that mm -hmm. whole recording and song and, you know, so... That's how Trouble came about, which, you know, it's still a Latoya Jackson record. That's what it's released as and what we put it out as. And so that was kind of cool to be able to do that, too. So that's, you know, my 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 Latoya Jackson story. <laughs> that is crazy. The interesting thing is Latoya Jackson is such like this niche market. There are those people that have followed her throughout her entire career. They can name all those. When yes. you listen to them, and I was talking to a, a, a producer friend of mine who's like, you know what? justice for latoya's career like like <laughs> she had they were able to work with who she was her persona her vocals and everything and it didn't feel not genuine right. you know and i remember was it um there was a whole era where she was like toy where she was going by toy where she didn't that want was, people to that was just want to dance so they released that originally under toy because they didn't want people to know it was latoya jackson mm -hmm. and so because <laughs> and here's what's insane and it takes off. And let's be honest, people were like, if we would have known it was Latoya Jackson, we would just not give it at the time of day. Right. Because it was the alias. And then it was like her own sweet moment where she's like, hey, thanks for playing my song. It is Latoya. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, everyone, have no fear. We have more with Jared coming because we still have to go over a ton of his work. So if you have any questions, reach out to me. And how can the listeners follow your music, follow you, how can they best support you and find you? So they can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Jared Jones Remix. You can also visit my website, jredmusic.com. That's J-R-E-D music.com. And you can search on all streaming services, Jared Jones Remix, and all of my productions will pop up. And while you're there, make sure to check out my latest remix, Tell Me Twice with Tony Award winner Levi Christ. There you go. Now, everyone, be sure to take a listen to these songs. I'll send out that email with all those links as well. This is James Rodriguez. Thank you so much, Jared, for being here today. Thank you. I didn't write the song. Justin Tranter and Maya Marie wrote it, um, two really incredible writers, but they definitely knew where I was coming from, what I was feeling, and I think they kind of crawled in my brain and spit out everything I was thinking. 
Welcome to The Original Doll. I am your host, James Rodriguez. On The Original Doll, I unpackage music with the people who create it. And at the same time, we give back to charity. For more information, go to theoriginaldoll.com. Big shout out to my Patreon patrons. Thank you so much for your support. And as with every episode of The Original Doll, any audio recording ripping stealing is strictly prohibited in every country in the world. So if you see anything leaked, please report it to the webmaster. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Now today we are joined by recording artist, producer, songwriter, and more, Maya Marie. We're going to deep dive into her songwriting on Erica Jane, who's that's the voice you heard at the beginning. Many of you may know as a recording artist, and many of you know her as a real housewife of Beverly Hills. We're going to talk about the creation of How Many Fs. Now, this is what's truly amazing. That song, okay, went number one on the U.S. Dance Club songs. That is one of nine number one songs on that chart by Erica Jane. What's truly amazing on top of this is... She had a number one song on that chart in 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2014, 2015, and 2016. That is right. Out of all of those years, she only had one year where she didn't have a number one song. But what's more amazing about that is every single song of hers that entered on that chart went to number one. She's an icon. We're going to talk more about that in a bit, but we're going to get right to this. My name is James Rodriguez. This is the original doll, Iconography. So, and so that was the thing. It's because um, I wanted to go over. I did this painting a couple of years ago. I don't know if you can see. It's the how many? Uh, Wait, it's right there. The, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I did this painting because I was like, the song just made me laugh, and it was like, it's just, it's one of those happy things. And since you were, you were a co-writer on it, and the other thing too is it's, it's one of the few pop songs I've seen that doesn't have a million people as other co-writers and things like that. Yeah, I think it was literally just uh, me and Justin Tranter and the producer who I haven't even met. Are you serious? It was Justin and I. Yeah, so he, how that happened was, it's so weird because I'd heard of Erica Jane for so long, like just around and I, Justin called me and was like, hey, would you want to do this session? I think you'd be great for it. It's for this artist and she's going to be on the housewives. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm obsessed with the housewives. Like, duh. Absolutely. <laughs> so, especially Beverly Hills. Um, so, uh, and she hadn't been on it yet. So this is like before. And then we, and then she's, she was, he's like, she, she is being managed by Scooter Braun. And I was like, Oh, cool. So we go into the session and it's just him and I, and he like, um, he's so amazing. He always like bring, he always orders like Chardonnay and like we drink and we have fun. And so it was just like such a fun session. It was just him and I um, at Paramount, I think. And he was like, no, she's awesome. She'll say anything. And I was like, oh, I love that. I love when you're not like limited. And I guess Scooter had sent over a list of like titles and how many bucks was one of them. And then I was like, that's actually great. Like, why not? So then we kind of uh, went through some tracks and then I think I was just like, like, just like, how many do I give? And then he started going and then he did the like one, not one. And it was just like so fast. 
we literally wrote it. I feel like in 10 minutes because it was like so funny and we were just dying and he knows he knew her more personally. I had not met her yet. Justin, um, you're talking about Justin knew her. Okay. Justin knew her. So she, he was like, she's fabulous. She's over the top. She'll say, you know, whatever. Anything. Like I, said. I love and, it. And yeah. And I was like, this is great. So Gage, so the, that, the, the yeah. producer, so you never met yeah. him. So you just kind of picked off of songs that were submitted saying these are beats yeah. go with it yeah yeah that's how this one worked um usually i don't love doing that i like working with producers they can kind of tailor it but the situation was it was literally like she needs a single um here are some tracks and here are some ideas and concept names and go and we were like okay so in that situation <laughs> how long so if it only took about 10 minutes to write the song is super catchy how long was it before <laughs> she heard it to recording it to because I feel like it wasn't a long time from when it that... wasn't it was probably a couple months maybe 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 even quicker than that because I just remember he was like oh she's recording it do you want to come by and I was like sure so I went and I met her and she was there with um Mikey Minden and uh her other friend like Layla or something <laughs> who's always with her so it was great they're all really nice she was really nice. Um, and did you have I to... kept trying to like, oh, <laughs> I was just saying she was really, uh, I kept trying to get dirt like on the housewives. I was like, ooh, like tell me. And she really wouldn't crack too much. She just said that she was really close with Kyle. So she was filming that first season, but it had she not was. premiered yet. And so she recorded this. Yeah. So this was probably a project that yes. there was a short amount of time where they're like, we need to tie this into the season, her inaugural season yeah yeah exactly so um and she she was great she was i saw her record it she was great she was awesome she was really sweet really pretty does she use like you do, so when you record it though you do like your reference demo and things like that yeah so i had already a demo so she recorded like on top of it so then for her she just see and that's the part i think people don't get because erica jane most pop stars most artists don't have a lot of time to go in because they're not, these aren't artists that are creating everything from scratch themselves. They're like, you know what? Let's right. leave it to the others to do it. The others can do a great job. Let me come in. I have this much time. Which is how it always used to be. Absolutely. I mean, just now it's getting more, you know, artists, uh, artists forward who are songwriters also. And I think it's only because we, we have to be because of the whole, you know, the dynamics with the paying and everything and like, and uh, yeah, interesting, but that's really how it used to always be. It used it was pretty standard for there to be a songwriter and an artist. It wasn't always one and the same. Well, and so for that though, that was uh, about April of 2016. So yeah, Justin was a huge part of Glory. So had he finished all of Glory by that point? Like, did you even know like, hey, he was working on that? Because I know a lot of stuff happens behind the scenes where some people, yeah, if you're in the know, you're in the know. Like this person's working with this artist, but they're not making. I did big know. Statements. I did know. I did know that that was going on. I got approached to do some demos for that and a couple of um, background vocal sessions. I don't think that I even made it or that I even ended up doing. And those were for um, his songs? So, no, not for his songs, for somebody else. Got yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, I, I think people don't understand that you're a creative person. You're an artist yourself. So- you want to be in there writing these songs and going, okay, I can take this beat. But also, it's almost more organic if the if you go, okay, I know the vibe you're going for. 
let's get the beats, let's get the lyrics, and let's kind of layer on that versus here's a canned piece of music, work it, you know? Right. Um, so then, so to this day, you've still never met the producer of how many? <laughs> no, that, I think we follow each other on Instagram. I don't know. I don't even know. I, I swear you are the, you're the, <laughs> the wizard of Oz. You're behind the curtain because everyone is like, you've worked with this, 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 this. And you're like, I've not met them. But that's also a common, yeah. uh, it, that's a common occurrence nowadays in features all over the place. I've never met David Guetta, who produced, you know, Body Ache. I never met Brittany, obviously. I mean, when I was 10, it doesn't count. With your, so, Geo yeah, I mean, with your GeoCities kinda... fan page? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still love that. I keep saying, I know. OG, OG. You know, and I, think, and I think about this is that you getting hired as a backup singer, your abilities to be a part of the song are limited. They hire you for this small fraction of it. You can't leave. I I know when I messaged uh, John Asher, writer of Mood Ring, that he had talked about, I said specifically, can you tell me what is a vocal producer's? He's, he's like, well, I take the vocals and I make it work. He goes, that is what a vocal producer does. You know, a background singer, they do their thing, they sing their part, then they're done. They clock out for the day. And I think people don't understand that, that like you as a backup singer, whether it's on Selena Gomez's Rare or whatever, like you can't be like, oh, yeah. everyone, I think we should go a little, like in some places, maybe collaboration is like that. Others, it's like, no, you got hired to hit these notes, you know, to harmonize with what she already laid down. That's what you're here for. You did yeah. your job. Let's leave. Yeah, exactly. You really don't have any creative freedom unless it's like your song or even on my song on Body Ache, I didn't have any creative freedom with the background vocals. No, and that's and at all. And the best part is like body ache went from you writing it to to remix of a remix of a remix of a remix of reproduction, reproduction. And then you're like, oh, there's now ten people involved in the song. But yeah. this is great. This is great. Didn't um, even know. Yeah, exactly. And so when do you find out? So I've talked about publishing and things like that. Yeah. I think a lot of people are surprised that the artist doesn't really get, most artists generally don't get 100% of the money that comes into them. Right. And so when you have a publisher, let's say you and I wrote a song together called Blue. You have your own separate- A publisher would take 50%. If we wrote a song a week ago and are registering it now, they would take 50% of my publishing and it's crazy because we don't even get enough. And so what do you do then for you as, as, as an artist, when you want to leave your publisher and we've heard stories, a lot of behind the scenes things too, that are coming out about people locked into these deals or they don't own their songs or, you know, Taylor Swift yeah. is re-recording um, that people don't realize, you know, if you and I wrote a song, I have my own publisher, you have your own publisher neither of us are getting 100% of our cut of that. It's going to these other people. Yeah, and I think they don't realize that there's stand, like most most songs have at least four people on them because that's the producer, the songwriter, and there's usually, you know, maybe two producers and two songwriters, and that's like very minimum. That's like a very standard small group of people. And so that's four people, and if they all have publishers, that's all, that 50% is automatically taken away from each of them. And then... I'm looking at it now and it says Spotify reported that it pays out between 0.00331 and 0.00437 per stream to rights holders. So that's like that percentage divvied up between 50% of, of this pie. So it's like you really get nothing. It's rare to own 
Well, and that's the thing. I talked about that in like the the body ache episode where I referred to the fact no one has made millions of dollars. Not one entity, not one person has made millions of dollars off of this one song. And it goes through all this. And that's the part with the publisher, even the percentage that the artists, if you will, get, the publisher still takes half of that. So half of a tenth of a tenth of a penny, half of that goes out. And people wonder why. Exactly there's this starving artist mentality or people don't get why why it's more important to directly support an artist it's because of situations like this if you have these artists that are creating this music and what i love about like britney and erica jane and even selena gomez is these are artists who have not been afraid to work with others let others do the songwriting let others exactly And but and they ultimately sure they get they make a, a decent chunk of change in in situations. They right. also know the more people on a project, the less they're actually taking home. Because right. if Selena wrote a song and then there's twelve other people, well, she's like, I like the song, so I still have to divvy the song because there's a separate artist, the recording artist thing. And if she was a songwriter, yeah, you mentioned before that you kind of leverage the, um, I don't know if leverage is a good word. But you kind of have to, for all your own songwriting stuff, you also have to do features. You have to do these other things to keep an income coming in. Would you say that the background vocalist has been a chunk of what your finances have come from versus the songwriter? Because at least the background vocalist, you know, you're getting whatever the AFTRA rate is, whatever that is. Yeah, oddly. Yeah, that's what's crazy is I actually have probably made more money off of, I don't know if I said this last time, off of like let's say body ache background vocals versus me writing the song. And that to me is something really wrong with the industry. So ridiculous. It's, it's so weird because people will pay somebody. It's so weird. This is how people think um, or have thought is they'll pay somebody to like do background vocals or to demo a song, but the person that wrote the song, they don't think deserves to be paid. And this is where I just don't understand because I'm like, the song wouldn't have any, and they pay producers. They have no problem paying producers, but it's it's so weird that it's this, uh, I don't know what it is. I don't get it because I've always, everybody I've worked with, I've always paid out. I've always, I just believe in that because we are working as well. And this is all, yep. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I can't do anything else. Like I have no other skills. So <laughs> <laughs> you're like, this is what I, <laughs> this win. Is what I have to do. Yeah, it's, this is it. These are the cards I'm dealt with. Well, and it's diff- it's <laughs> difficult because it's like you still have to have that that desire, that passion to create. And there's the point where that yeah. commerce meets the artist. That is, there's always a conflict. And I think what you've done is, and smart, like, hey, if you want to collaborate with me, if you want me to somewhere, pay up front. I want you to because the rest of us yeah. if i went to a restaurant and i said i'm ordering food i pay up front i don't like exactly. you know there are, there are certain times where of course you sit down whatever bill up you're still you're still paying you don't negotiate you still pay for no. it you're not like oh really i was i mean i didn't know I didn't. it's like what it's the only industry that's like that so the reason why i would get more money as a background vocalist is because i'm a part of sag aftra which is a union so you have to get paid for that like legally out of the producer's budget or the album budget or whatever especially with major labels you have to get paid for it but like major labels don't have to pay out songwriters and i don't know if that's because we can't unionize i don't know why we can't unionize so hopping out for a second 
when in doing research and everything, I actually found out that, and this is all from just different magazines, newspaper articles, Los Angeles Times, New York Times, The Post, everything. Basically, it says, under current law, without a National Labor Relations Board recognized union that can collectively bargain for them, pop musicians and songwriters are treated as independent contractors licensing their work. What's interesting about this is that only orchestra, film, and theater musicians have equivalent representation to what actors have in the SAG-AFTRA and screenwriters have in the Writers Guild of America. So how do you then work? Like, how many Fs do I give? Like, that was written specifically, you know, with Erica Jane in mind. In mind. How difficult is it when you create something and you go, I don't know who that would be for? Or is there kind of a formula in your head of like, let's make this a pop song that makes you feel and have a good time? Yeah. You know, I've tried so many different approaches and the best approach I found is just, I mean, unless it's specifically like a session for that, which is rare where it's like, we need this for this person. And I have an and in and I have a relationship with Scooter and Erica and let you know what I mean like that's kind of how that was presented and that's a little bit in the bag which is not normal Mm -hmm. you know um but I try to just write now something that I love have just started to come to that where I'm instead of when I used to Right. When I wanted the Britney cut so bad and I wasn't getting, and I, you know, I just write a million songs for Britney, for Britney, for Britney. And then it will, A, they don't really have anywhere else to go. Cause they're all like very pigeonholed for Britney, <laughs> um, which is great, but that never worked. That approach never worked for me. It was always when I wrote something that was just good, like for Lil Wayne, like we didn't even, we just wrote a good song and then it ended up years later he wanted it it was like and also flow rider wanted it too was the 2014 song Start a Fire by Lil Wayne featuring Christina Milian. You never know what's going to happen. And I think always just write from authenticity and from a place that feels good rather than trying to force like. Yep. Well, and that's and that's why I love to see his album. This is acting where she's like, these were all the ones that people were like, pass, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and it's it's amazing to hear these songs and they could have gone with any genre because whether it was. um reaper which is a song i love on that album that was meant for rihanna or adele was alive and it gets that far where the artist cuts it and then eh, yeah oh yeah that's happened to me several times i mean that's pretty standard like you don't know until it's out i've had several songs on hold and actually i was i talked to this i uh, talked about this concept with a few other of my songwriter friends and i was like i want to put out like a compilation 
uh, on Spotify or something like called like songs on hold with like all of our favorite songs that were cut or like on hold or didn't make it. Or, and we didn't know why, because there's so many great songs that I've heard other songwriters write that I'm like, how did this not ever well, and, make it? And what I love is on your Patreon page, which everyone should go to at Patreon, Maya Marie, is you have these songs and I keep pushing for one song. I'm like, what do you have to do? <laughs> To get this, and it's like that song was on hold. That song was on hold by Noah Noah Cyrus, um, Latin and Stella. I had so many people that, and then they either went in a different direction. Because here's the thing: is it's so political. Oh, it's like yeah. I said, it's with the with the relationship with the executive producer. Because think about it: if you're the executive producer of something, you're going to go to your friend here or this person that you have signed to you because you get fifty percent of whatever. And this, it's 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 very much that way which is a big problem because it's not about how great stuff is anymore i know so many talented talented songwriters who have amazing songs that have no idea why this didn't get put out or this didn't get cut or you know um like not just speaking for for my songs but so many friends that it was literally like a political reason or because they're not signed to this person and when i you know i did an inter or an, an interview i did an episode of tom's diner the label said you basically can work with whoever you want on this label so he he could work yeah. with britney because they were on rca sony he could work with kylie minogue because they did this that's also the political aspect to it where you keep it in house keep all that money inside our well, because, house again yeah think about it if you're if you're a dr luke and you know like femme fatale was filled with his writers and hit you know because it only makes sense i mean anyone would do it i'm not saying it's like wrong it just makes sense and especially you know you're kind of curating it as well and you can just text this person and say make a song like this it's just easier all around so that's just the name of the game and have no fear, we have more with Maya Marie coming up over the next few months. And if you missed any episodes or interviews with Maya Marie, just scroll through previous episodes and don't forget to rate this. My name is James Rodriguez. This is the original doll, Iconography. I'll see you on the flip side. Help me.